morning, friends. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, please join me as we, we read from Philippians. Philippians 3, 12 to 21. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us all who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we, are e- and we eagerly await for a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Good morning. Uh, my name's Mike, lead pastor here. I'm going to rearrange uh, the furniture a little bit. If you're new here this morning, it's great to have you with us. Um, it doesn't matter that you've missed a few uh, chapters of Philippians because this is going to stand on its own in many ways and is a remarkable passage. Uh, it's about a race. I've already started badly by not having my microphone turned on. Uh, and I'm going, to not try and, I'm going to try and not sprint. Sometimes people say to me, Mike, you speak very fast. Um, don't, don't laugh. That wasn't a joke. Um, uh, but I'm also going to try and not do a marathon such that there's no time for Q&A at the end. Pray for me. Okay. Let me ask this question. Has anyone got a, uh, a T-shirt uh, or a certificate that kind of says something like, I finished Tough Mudder? Or, or kind of, you know, one of those kinds of events or something that actually required a little bit of perseverance and sweat. Is that you, Jay? Did you finish one of those races? I, I saw you nodding. You, no? Okay. Anyone, anyone got one of those T-shirts? Yeah, what, what have you done? Tough Mudder, how was it? Was it hard? Oh, look, you're a, you're a weapon. You're a weapon. Yeah, yeah, just rolled out of bed one morning, gave it a crack, all good. Uh, anyone else? Yes? City to Surf, you got the little medal or something? Or, very good, very nice. Anything else? Oh, here we go. Um, this guy's got a few of those. What have you, what have you, no, name one thing that you've done. 
<laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. This guy races all kinds of things. Um, I, I, I want you to just, like, uh, you know, appreciate that w- when you do something like one of these events, and you know, we're not just talking about kind of walking to the coffee shop, we're talking about something that requires dedication. Like you've got to get up at the crack of dawn and do a little bit of training so that when you hit like 50 k's of running up and down hills, my friend just finished the, uh, uh, what's it called, the, the six foot track run yesterday. That's 48 kilometers of, I don't know how many thousand vertical meters of running uh, along fire trail. You, you can't just walk into that. You've got to prepare. Uh, you, you've got to sweat. And you've got to, like, it's a mental game as much as a physical game. You've got to have the grit to keep on going. And so when you finish that race, even if you didn't finish first, you want the T-shirt because you're like, I did it. It's a little bit of a humble brag. We know that. But it's also kind of just a kind of, whew, we made it. Uh, on a lesser kind of scale, uh, I was uh, taking Tilly for a run this morning with Callum. And, uh, you know, we were eight minutes in, we've passed sort of stitch corner, uh, and, um, and, and Callum says to me, uh, normally I've stopped running by now. And, and I said, yes, that's right. This is the first lap that we've done around sort of the hideout cafe where we might actually just run the whole thing. And he said, I'm, but I'm so stuffed. And I was like, for the joy set before us, let's finish. And, and, he, said, and he said, what will I get when I finish? I said, oh, just the joy of finishing. He says, could I have an apple blackcurrant drink? <laughs> I said, yes. Uh, <laughs> we need some kind of encouragement to run the race. Why am I laboring this? Well, Paul is laboring this. We are in a race. The Christian life is like a marathon. And he speaks about uh, winning the prize, the goal, reaching forward, making every effort. What's the goal? Those pearly gates? Well, no, that's not so simply. Much more richly, in verse 10, he says, do keep your Bible open here. Verse 10, my goal is to know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It is knowing Jesus more and more until you see him face to face, until you have literally been raised from the dead to enjoy life forever with him. That's the prize. That's the goal. And we get to taste this more and more. But the big difference about the Christian race is we start with the T-shirt. We start by grace. Some of you might think the Christian life looks like kind of a million stair race all the way to heaven and you're somewhere kind of like on the hundredth stair just going, what the heck is this? And for those of you in this room and online who are feeling weary, I want to remind you today that we start and we finish by grace and we have something far richer than just a ticket to heaven as it were. We have the Lord Jesus Christ himself who we get to know more and more in this life, in this race, until we see him face to face. And so I've called this ticket, uh, this ticket, this talk, Exercise Your Heavenly Citizenship. Uh, that is, you are a citizen of heaven if you believe in Jesus. But we are being exhorted to exercise that, to pursue Jesus more and more for the joy of knowing him. Not just have a crack at winning a chance to heaven. Not just do it in your own strength. This is altogether a very different kind of race. Being a citizen of heaven, pursuing Christ 
all the more. So let's begin, verse 12. Actually, before we get to verse 12, let's just kind of, uh, again, sort of re- this is so important, I just want to kind of reiterate what this Christian life, this Christian race looks like. It begins by being saved by grace. Uh, that, that is, that, that it's not about your efforts, it's about the efforts of the Lord Jesus who died for you. You are saved by grace. That's where the race starts. You enter by faith and by grace you start the Christian life. And, and as you continue in that, you will ultimately be, at the very end, made perfect. Saved by grace and, and ultimately made perfect when we see Jesus face to face. It goes from trusting in the Lord Jesus by faith. Uh, through to knowing Him in part, through to knowing Him in full when we see Him face to face, even as we are known fully by Jesus. That's the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians uh, 13. It, It begins by stepping forward in faith, being conformed in the likeness of Christ through the cross, and then being raised with Him until you are fully raised from the dead to enjoy life with Jesus forever. That's the Christian life. Uh, See if the cameras can track me. Uh, It's not this race. This race down here, before faith, is kind of like, I will exert myself until I find my purpose. It, it, It is, I need to find my identity and I will have to stress and strain to get it. It's also, um, I've got to stay ahead of those people. I've got to do better than them. The Christian life is altogether a different kind of race. It has a different purpose. For it's no longer about you finding yourself or you getting ahead of others. You are saved and lifted up by grace. And you begin the journey with Jesus from that point. Does that make sense? It's really important we see that difference. It is not be better and hope that God will accept you in the end. It is saved by grace, brought into relationship with God, your maker, through the Lord Jesus Christ and his efforts and his death for you on the cross. And having been brought into the family of God, you enjoy the privilege of knowing him more and more. Now, Paul finds it necessary to also describe this this now, this life in the middle, this race that we're in, by a similar, not this, but that. And so in verse 12, he says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. Thanks, Paul, because sometimes he looks like that, right? Sometimes when you read Paul, you're like, man, he has his stuff together. And like, what the heck? He's not saying, he's saying, I'm not here. You might look at me and think I'm there, but I'm not actually perfect. I I have not been raised from the dead. I'm in the middle. I'm on this journey. I'm exerting myself in the same race you are to know Jesus more. Because we are saved sinners, we need to acknowledge this. As a recovering perfectionist, somewhere on that journey, it might be helpful for you to know, because it might be helpful for me to verbalize, I am not perfect. All the other recovering perfectionists say with me, I am not perfect. But we are being made more like Jesus. It's helpful to know this. I remember uh, being at church at Erskineville. Uh, Erskineville is, um, is a really interesting place in Sydney, uh, very diverse in many ways, uh, lots of sort of free thinkers, uh, and, and I kind of I love that actually. Uh, very affluent, 
and at times very messy. Uh, and so what that meant is as people came to church, perhaps unfamiliar with church, feeling quite messy internally, but also maybe quite good at looking like they're holding it together in high-paying jobs, uh, in, uh, in the way that they live their life. And so they come to church and, and they're naturally good at kind of like holding themselves together and looking like they've got it so, and they come to church and they meet a bunch of people who also look like holier than thou, look like they've got it all together, look kind of like perfect. And as messy people come to church, they know inside they're messy and they come to a bunch of, you know, Sunday faces and they feel, oh man, these guys actually have it together and I do not feel like I belong. And so I had to keep saying to new people and to church people, we are the league of the guilty. We are saved sinners. We are not perfect. We do not have it all together. The only one that does is the Lord Jesus. And when we acknowledge that, it is liberating. Drop the pretense. No one here is perfect. Paul wants to remind everybody of that. We are saved by faith. Let that sink in, let it sink in. So if the prize is a ticket to heaven, for example, and we've won that in Jesus, and it's all by faith and by grace, then why bother meeting together? Why bother even sort of doing the hard Christian life? Why not sit back, relax? Because as I've already said, there is so much more to the prize than just a ticket to heaven, as it were. You have won the Lord Jesus And it's our privilege to know him more and more, even as he fully knows us. And so Paul will go on to say, I make, not that I'm perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. It being uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing him more, the power of his resurrection, because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Let me put this on the screen. I think this is one of the richest verses in the Scriptures about the Christian life. So let me say it again. I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Make every effort. That's put really lamely, if that's a word, in our translation here. Like, make every effort. It's kind of like, you know, uh, sometimes it, it's, uh, it, it's hard to get out of bed, but you sort of just roll out of bed and kind of, you know, that, that's an effort. Uh, that, that doesn't describe enough of the, the word that's actually used here. Uh, the word means to kind of pursue so significantly, to kind of, to harass even, that the same word is actually translated as persecute in other verses. That is to so harass, to so chase down, that in its negative form, it can, be, it can look like persecute. So, so are we to kind of to, to, to persecute Jesus? No, 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 it's, it's to so pursue Him, to so chase after Him, to make your own. That's the kind of effort that Paul is, is sort of wanting us to see, to exert to make Jesus my own, even as He has made me His own. The Christian walk is not, Jesus is over there, and if I just make enough effort, we might actually connect. He has already taken hold of you. He knows you fully, and Paul is saying, make every effort so that you might know Him more and more. It's a parable that Jesus tells about a treasure in a field. Uh, a man 
finds treasure in a field. That's where the parable gets its name from. Uh, and, and, and when he finds it, uh, he, he, he kind of goes back and, and he sells everything he has so that he might buy the whole damn field <laughs> and in it, the treasure. Because he sees the treasure as so valuable that it's worth selling everything. Uh, last week we heard, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's what Paul is saying here. Make every effort. It's going to cost you, but it's worth it. And he continues, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. (laughs) He's continuing to say, I'm not there yet. Even though Jesus has hold of me, I have not fully taken hold of it of knowing Jesus more, the power of his resurrection. But one thing I do, and here we get to how he runs the race. How do we exert this kind of effort? One thing I do, and then he lists a few things. Thanks, Paul. Uh, Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is behind. Maybe we sort of group that together. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Let's just break that down a little bit. Uh, forgetting what is behind. If everything is a loss compared to, the, to, 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 to knowing Jesus, Paul wants you to, to not look behind anymore. He wants you to consider that a loss, to forget that. And, and no, no, he's not talking about going home and purging your wedding photos and old t-shirts and past memorabilia. No, no, no. Paul is talking about the kind of stuff that when you, when you look back, it's, it's holding you back. It's defining you. And for each of us, that's going to look quite differently. For some of us, we're going to have trauma in our background. For some of us, we're carrying kind of sin that we're kind of, we haven't let go of. For some of us, we are weary because of what's happened behind us. Paul wants us to forget that. How do you forget that? Let me kind of go from sort of being a bit serious to being a bit less serious to being serious again. Uh, This guy. Uh, This is from a classic movie. Does anyone recognize the movie I'm going to refer to? You don't have to have watched it to make sense of this, but there we go. They've got some, it's a classic, classic. What what is the movie? Yeah, very good. Cool runnings. and so there is um, Coach, uh, what's his name? Irv, Irving Blitzer, fictional character. Uh, although I think there's some, whatever, let's go, it's a fictional character. Uh, American bobsled double gold medalist in the 1968 Winter Olympics, thinks Wikipedia. Um, he also went to the 1972 Winter Olympics in Japan, but was disqualified for cheating. What a jerk. Retired in disgrace to Jamaica, drinking his sorrows and disgrace away. But sort of like that cliched picture goes, the glass is never quite full enough to wash all that away. Here is a picture of somebody, whether you watch the movie or not, here is a symbol of somebody who is defined by their past. Disgrace, and so they hide away, drinking away whatever kind of coping mechanism they've got because they are defined by what's happened in their past. What's holding you back? What are you holding on to? What sin, what shame, what disappointment are you, are you lashed to? Paul says, forget what is behind. Know the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Know the new life that he offers. 
After a tough day in the family household, we pray, God, your mercies are new every morning, and so help us rest. Forget what is behind. And as we take hold of the forgiveness, as we receive that by faith, as we receive the promise and reality of the new life that we have in Jesus, we are strained forward to what is ahead, no longer being defined by what is behind, but actually keeping our eyes fixed on the beauty of Jesus. I want to know Jesus more. I want to know more the power of His resurrection. I want to step forward and fight to faith to discover this new life. When you've been on a long journey, uh, maybe if you're sort of coming from the West, you know, long journey from maybe Western Sydney all the way to the ocean, so much further than it used to be. It's okay, I'm okay. Uh, <laughs> and as you kind of, you know, pop over the hill, perhaps if you strain your eyes, you can see the ocean. And it, oh, it's so good. And you kind of, you cruise down towards the beach from there and it is life-giving. It's a joy to keep going. Friends, strain your eyes if you need to, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and all that He offers and all that He is to you, that you might press ahead towards Him and in Him. If you ask the Vagises, I haven't sort of primed them for this, but just listening to kind of what they said today, they've had a few bumps on the way and it would have been easy perhaps to go too hard, but they have strained forward. They have continued to look to Jesus to take up his missional command to make disciples of all nations and have kept pressing forward in faith, challenge after challenge, and with knowing that there's challenges to come because they consider Jesus worth it. They consider life in him worth it. And so Paul continues, I pursue the same word, I harass, I move decidedly towards as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father, having won salvation for you, having died for your sins. He considered you worth it. And now as He sits at the right hand of the Father, He is calling you home. For He has travelled the road through the cross to win salvation for you. And He is asking us to follow Him. And now He advocates for us. Did you know that? He advocates for us. He prays for you to the Father. And He has given you His life-giving Spirit. So that even through the stresses and strains, you would be resourced with every spiritual resource to press on, to pursue Him. And so I will fight bravely in His strength to experience that which He has won for me. Now, I'm going to get a serious, for, for a moment, uh, pastorally serious, and I recognize that what I say next won't be for everyone. When did you stop fighting for Jesus? When did you get casual in that relationship? When, when did you let sin fester, the weeds and the desires of your heart choke out Jesus? Is heaven too far off? Is the brilliance of Jesus dulled by the bright lights of this world? Or is it just death by a thousand cuts in the mundane repetition of week by week? 
Friends, brothers and sisters, pursue Jesus. Press on in faith. Make every effort. For those of us that are weary, listen to Jesus as he says, Give me your burdens and I will give you rest. Because he is gentle and lowly. The King of Kings is gentle and lowly to walk alongside you, to take your burdens, to unlash you from whatever you are tied to, so that you might press forward in faith. And so we need to stay motivated. We need to stay motivated. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. It's Paul being a little bit cheeky. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. We, we, we need to have some kind of motivation at times, some kind of encouragement. When the, when the going gets tough, uh, we need more than kind of like a, uh, you know, just like the little, you know, uh, uh, those, those of you that have got like little, little fridge magnets with a Bible verse on you, bless you. But sometimes we need a little bit more than, than that. <laughs> We need a kind of a motivation that speaks into our heart, walking alongside us. Paul now sort of delves into this a little bit. And he's going to go positively, some positive motivation, and he's going to speak kind of negative as well. We need both. I'm reading a leadership book at the moment where uh, the author, a guy, admits that on, his, on the background of his computer desktop is a pic of a guy with ripped abs. And, he, and then when he's sort of getting bored at sort of punching keys, he's like, I need those abs, I want those abs. And so he'll go and just, you know... <laughs> You know, you, you need some kind of motivation, some kind of mental picture. It might be that you have, because that's a bit weird, not everyone's going to do that. Um, you, you, you might have kind of like a picture of like this on your desktop, uh, where, where, you know, you've, you've got a picture of the holidays, 162 days to go to Hawaii. I'm not going there. Uh, that's just from Google. Thank you. Uh, but you need that kind of reminder that as you go through the drudgery of week to week work, if that's what you're feeling, that you're getting closer uh, to the goal and you keep that in front of you. Um, I have, uh, in my garage, I've got a bike and some weights that I don't use often enough. Um, I found a stop sign uh, that was just junked somewhere in Erskineville, and so I picked it up, and, uh, and, I, and I scribed into the top, don't stop, and I put that in my garage, as some kind of weird kind of macabre sort of motivation, just, you know, when you feel like stopping, keep going, uh, sweat it out. Well, whatever your method of motivation is, you need that, uh, and so as Paul sort of gives this little cheeky kind of like, just, you know, as he sort of preaches the gospel, exhorts them to make every effort, he sort of steps back a bit and plays coach a little bit. And so this is what he says, Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. Uh, that, that is, that, that if, if you're mature enough in your faith, you, you ought to kind of hear the, uh, you know, make every effort, and that actually encourages you. Uh, that, that doesn't actually guilt you and kind of burden you, but actually it's a, it's a good kick up the pants and a reminder that Jesus is worth it to make every effort. But if you think differently... Just kind of a way of saying, if, if you're not, not mature, it's okay, cool, cool. Um, God will reveal this to you also. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. So that is, if you have, you know, if you're a new Christian, or if you've kind of just been sort of in the waiting pool for a little while, that's okay. Bless you. I'm so glad, so I'm stoked for you that you're here and, and that you're kind of trusting Jesus. And Paul's saying, whatever truth you have attained... You at least have to know that Jesus forgives sins to be saved. You at least need to know that Jesus is your Lord and Saviour. If that's the truth you've attained, fantastic. Live it out. Practice that. Meditate on that truth. 
You don't need kind of to have a, have a, have a more college degree. In fact, more college degrees not. You don't need whatever. Uh, it's down there. Um, it's just relax. Uh, just, just celebrate what you do have in Jesus. And if I was to ask each of you, and perhaps in your small groups, this might be really helpful, uh, to actually just stop and, ce- and celebrate what, what, what do you love about Jesus? What truth have you attained? And, and, and what difference has He made in your life? Celebrate that. Yes, be honest about all the things that kind of you really need Jesus for and kind of the things you don't make, make sense to you and the, and the things you're doubting and, and wrestling with. Put it all on the table too. Uh, but at least celebrate the truth that you've attained. The goodness of the gospel, the goodness of the king. And then he says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. And one of the wonderful things we have in this church is we have saints like like Jackie Doran, been marching on in faith for years and years, and a great encouragement to us, Yes? We have many people in this church who have persevered through hard times and are a great encouragement to us. Let us look to them. Let us converse with them. Let us be real with them. My hope is that in every small group, we have a diversity of people. The goal is to not have a small group of, of perfect Christians, if only you could be in that small group. You know, no one gets in that small group. You'll get there in the end. But, but for now, how might we look to one another and be encouraged in our walk with Jesus, as we exercise our citizenship. I'm going over time. There'll be Q&A maybe after the service. (laughs) In the same book that I'm reading on leadership, he refers to um, something called The Pain Line. It's a book to entrepreneurs, uh, and and he, and he, he, he talks about when you hit the pain line, when things get so hard in starting up your business or, you know, just generally in life, you will look for ways to kind of pull back from the pain. Uh, he talks about how you self-sabotage, uh, how, how you, that's the point, you sell the business, you make quick decisions. There are all kinds of times in our life where we're going to hit the pain line. When we hit that, that's not for us to make snap decisions and kind of just chase after whatever's going to give you pleasure in that moment. You need the encouragement of brothers and sisters. You need to be reminded that Jesus really is worth it. We need the motivation that Paul is speaking of here. We also need the reminder that there is a spiritual reality that is, that is big. Paul goes on in, in tearful, not, not, not guilt-driven sort of pastoral care, but in tearful sort of pastoral care. Verse 18, for I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. We'll come to the next bit. Their end is destruction. We need to be aware, brothers and sisters, uh, that, that there really is a heaven and a hell. That there really is kind of uh, this end, uh, being made perfect, being with Christ and and rejecting Him and and rejecting Him forever and experiencing the anger of God. For He has found a way, despite our sinfulness, to bring us home, to embrace us in the love of Jesus. 
there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Press on. Do not chase after the glory that is so easily set before you by this world. But instead, we be reminded that as he says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Is anyone uh, here a dual citizen? Nobody. No dual citizens. Oh, yeah, do you have any, what's your dual citizenship? England. Lovely. What's the, what's the privileges you get in that dual citizenship arrangement? You can go live there. Fantastic. Um, do you like clouds and like rain and... No. Um, no, England is good. I hear good things about it. Uh, we uh, not just have a dual citizenship, we have a primary citizenship that's been gifted to us in the Lord Jesus because we are now citizens of heaven and we get all the privileges of heaven with that. I'm going to cut out a, a big story that I had here. But Paul's reminding us laboring, that our identity, our purpose, our joy is not in this world. You are aliens now in this world. It's not just that you have dual citizenship, your citizenship has actually moved to, to, to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are now kind of like refugees in the world. This is not your home, so stop pretending like it is. So many of our woes and our struggles that we have to press on through is because we've made this place our home. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great kind of um, British preacher, says this, as we are free from the conscription of the state, that is that we are no longer bound by the, the rules and regulations by this world, yes, we're to be good citizens and to obey the government, caveat, but, but we are no longer defined by this world, we must remember also that we are not eligible to its honours. An Englishman in New York is not eligible for the very prickly throne of the president. I like the little hook there. And he makes a good point. He goes on to say things uh, to the effect of, and I have to sort of translate a bit, it's old English, uh, we should be wary of the praise of the unrighteous. We should be wary of pursuing the glory that this world offers when the glory of heaven has been made available to us. As a citizen of heaven, we are being reminded today of the goodness of our King, of the way He has taken hold of us. And He knows us fully, even those bits that you want to hide from others and even yourself. He knows all of that. He loves you still. He has died for you so that you might have life in Him. And now we are being exhorted to make every effort to know Him more because He is worth it. And as we eagerly await for Him to return, until we reach perfection, until we embrace Him face to face, when we see our Lord Jesus eye to eye, can you dare imagine it? He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. What power is that? He has the power to subject everything to Himself because He gave up everything for you. Philippians 2, the centerpiece of this book. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing for you, becoming obedient to death. Brothers and sisters, whether you be joyfully fighting the good fight, 
or whether you are somewhere a bit lost perhaps on the Christian journey and feeling weary, would you take another step of faith? Keeping your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. And if you're not even in the Christian life yet, if you're kind of racing around here trying to find your identity and purpose, would you take a look at Jesus and consider Him worth it because He's considered you worthy of His blood? Go into this week and exercise your citizenship. With whatever stresses and strains this week will bring, exercise your citizenship. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for today's encouragement from your word. Would you bury it deeply in our heart? Would you help us to take it with you, with us this week? That when the troubles of this world come, when the weariness of our mortal bodies seems to overwhelm us, would you help us consider Christ as worthy? Because Jesus has considered us worthy of his death and now resurrection. And so may we know him more and more and the power of that resurrection in everything we do to your glory.